This episode features graphic depictions of violence. Good afternoon to all three of you. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us here this afternoon. Who would like to go first? In a committee room at the Colorado State Capitol, three women prepare to testify to lawmakers. Thank you, Mr. Chair and committee members for being here today. My name is Jeanette Black. Jeanette wanted lawmakers to know what happened at her house just a few months earlier. I am the wife of a man who was killed by Aurora police during a home invasion. My grandchild's screams woke me up and the front door being beat into the house. And I um, told my husband to grab a gun that I would get the phone. Hello, what's going on there? Oh my God, my grandson's bleeding all over the place. They're locked up in the bathroom, my son and my grandson. A man broke in, grabbed my grandson, physically attacked him, locked the two of them in the front bathroom, injured him massively. Jeanette tells the lawmakers that while this was happening, she ran outside and briefly exchanged words with a police officer who had arrived on the scene. Hey, guys, guns, help. 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 Is it the guy? Not me. Who are you? Oh, shit. My husband had to kick the door in. My son joined him in fighting this man, and my husband ended up shooting this man in the bathroom and he fell to the floor dead. So he came out of the bathroom walking not straight, probably a little bit dizzy, ears not working properly after shooting a weapon. Gun! Gun! Drop the gun! Lift your hands! Drop the gun! Hey! Get your hands in the air! Guy in the robe's got the gun. And when someone spoke to him and said, drop the gun... He raised the flashlight to see who was speaking to him, and that's when the officer shot four times. Got it? You got it? Yes. Drop the gun! Drop the gun! Is he down? Is he down? He's down! He's down! The police officer who shot Jeanette's husband thought he was the intruder. Okay, we got medical coming right now. Okay, do you live here? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right, so he's been, he's been, we shot him. He died later that night, two hours later in surgery. Good afternoon. We're here today to brief you on an officer-involved shooting that occurred in the early morning hours of July 30th, 2018. You're going to be hearing from Chief Metz today. There's no doubt in our mind, and there's certainly no dispute in any way, shape, or form, that Mr. Black saved his family's life that night, in particular his young grandson. Aurora's now-retired police chief, Nick Metz, told reporters at a news conference a few days after the shooting that the officer who fired the shots was heartbroken. And he confirmed something else about Officer Drew Limbaugh. I know that many of you are aware, since it's been in the media, that this same officer was involved in an officer-involved shooting about 30 days before this one. He returned to duty 18 days, or basically two and a half weeks after his shooting. I know that sometimes questions come up, I will lose that too soon, 
I can tell you that... So was that too soon? That's the question that Jeanette brought to the Capitol for lawmakers to consider. The loss to each member of our family is unbearable. Gary and I lived together for 45 years, and we had been married for 39 years, and we had an anniversary two days before he died. And I have two grandchildren who no longer enter my home out of fear. What I... What I had wished for, and it's too late to make wishes, is that that officer who bypassed other officers to shoot my husband had held back a couple of feet. He had just previously killed a man 30 days or so before he killed my husband. I felt he was a little bit over-aggressive considering a gray-haired old man in a bathrobe was leaning on a doorframe, and he made an evaluation of my husband's life in a split second. I'm Brittany Freeman. I'm an investigative producer for a TV show on Rocky Mountain PBS called Insight with John Ferrugia. Last time on the Insight podcast, we heard from police officers about the emotional impacts of these kinds of incidents and how they affect their ability to do their jobs. I couldn't tell you what triggers it, but sometimes I will just have the nightmares. Today, we want to dive into the new law that Jeanette Black's loss helped create and what it means for police officers all over the state. At the Capitol... Jeanette and her daughters testified in front of the Senate's State, Veterans, and Military Affairs Committee. They had been working with one of the committee members, Senator Rhonda Fields. I also want to thank the Black family for taking the time and and having the courage to appear before us today. They're still grieving. And meeting them is the inspiration behind this bill. The first approach was to have mandatory time off, like a timeout, 30 days, maybe 60 days or whatever. But the community, the law enforcement community said that that wasn't the right approach to go. So we worked together and we came up with the content that you see in this bill. A lot of input, a lot of compromise for us to get to this point, and I think it's in a good place. The bill in front of the committee that day would require all law enforcement agencies to have a policy laying out how they would provide mental health support for officers involved in fatal use of force incidents. I simply want to say this is policymaking at its best because citizens have brought a concern and extremely valid and horrifically painful reason to come forward. But you've brought that forward and you have a senator who's listened and that is our job. And we appreciate so much that you are figuring out how to turn your tragedy into positive public policy. Law enforcement leaders from different parts of the state testified in support of the proposal. But some lawmakers had concerns at a later House committee meeting. Why do we need a law? I mean, we got some of the most prestigious law enforcement People right here sitting in front of us, and I know not a one of you manage your department without having this thing already in place. Are we trying to tell somebody in uh, Sterling or we trying to tell somebody in Cortez how to, to run their matters? I don't understand why we need a law 
to tell you what your profession already should have out there as a, a normal standard. In response, here's Sean Harper testifying on behalf of the Fraternal Order of Police Union. Many, many agencies across our state have programs, officer wellness programs, return to duty protocols after critical innocence. Many do. Unfortunately, there are plenty that do not. Plenty of them. This bill, without creating excessive amounts of um, fiscal trouble for the agency, without doing that, it, like I stated earlier, forces the agencies, the leaders in their agency to look at this issue and address it, but it gives them the ability to do it within their own means. The motion before the body is the passage of Senate Bill 091. Are there any no votes? With a vote of 34 ayes, zero no, zero absent, and one excuse, Senate Bill 091 is passed. Governor Jared Polis signed the bill into law, and it took effect on January 1st, 2020. The new law notes that the state already has set aside grant dollars to help departments pay for mental health services. But again, all this new law really does is require departments to make a policy. And we wanted to know how departments around the state are reacting. Dispatch, how can I help you? Hi, uh, my name is Brittany. I'm calling from Rocky Mountain PBS in Denver. And I was calling to see if I could reach the... So around the new year, I reached out to just about every law enforcement agency in the state. Washington County Sheriff's Office, communications. The chief with which police department we dispatch for the county. Let me get you back to our crime prevention tech. Hang on one second. There are about 230 of them. I asked them to send us their policies. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to give you an official statement. We usually, official statements usually come. Um, I'd have to do research before I could answer anything on it. Do you have the specific house bill that's going into effect? Not everyone has responded yet, but about 140 departments have. Overall, it seems like it might be a bit too early to assess the statewide impact of this bill, and here's why. Many departments work with an outside company to write and update their policies as laws change. Several agencies have told us that they're waiting for an update from that company to address this new law. But all those phone calls and emails did reveal some notable trends. Every agency said that they do provide some kind of access to a mental health professional for officers involved in a fatal use of force incident. After the passage of this new law, about 40 departments implemented new policies or made significant updates to their existing policies. One of the key recommendations in this law is that departments provide at least one confidential counseling session with a mental health professional after an incident. But that's just a recommendation. Custer County Sheriff Shannon Byerly tells me he believes that kind of counseling should be mandatory. Part of the mental health aspect of that would be prior to them returning to work, they would have to go to a minimum of three um, counseling sessions, quite honestly, We err a little on the side of caution on that, um, and that's just because I have firsthand experience with that. Sheriff Byerly still remembers his shooting clearly, more than 13 years later. He was working at a different department as a patrol officer when he got a call to go to a home he knew pretty well for a history of domestic violence. I knew both of them on the first, I mean, I knew them immediately when they gave me the address because I'd been there a few times before. This time, the man had a gun. And Byerly says he never expected the man to point it at him. He thought he knew him. I was screaming at him, put the gun down. I never thought he would. I mean, um, he pulled the trigger and the gun went click. 
Byerly says the man started to reload his gun, so police shot him. He died, and the police department quickly decided the shooting was justified. And Byerly says the department made him go to three counseling sessions. Um, and I was very resistant to that. I didn't think I needed them until I started them. Um, and then quickly, by the, by the second or third one, I realized it did help a lot. The counseling helped, but within a few days, Byerly says he had to go back to work. So I went back on the road, you know, and first call out the door was a man with a gun call, and I was just jumpy. I mean, I can remember just on patrol and setting at a stoplight or something, a loud noise going off and just, you know, super jumpy. I can't speak for anybody else, but personally, I felt like if I could have had three or four more days and maybe a couple more talks with the psychologist, it would have helped me. And so I just always told myself that I, if I ever got in a position to where I could have some um, uh, significant impact on policy, that, that I would change it. Sheriff Byerly says that his policy has never actually been tested since his department hasn't had an officer-involved shooting since he was elected. More than a dozen departments told me or wrote in their policies that the kind of confidential counseling recommended in the new law would be strongly encouraged but not required. Some of those department leaders said they make those decisions on a case-by-case basis. One questioned whether forcing someone into a therapy session would be effective if the officer doesn't feel like they need it. But they also said help would be provided and available for anyone who needs it. When debating the bill, lawmakers said they didn't want to burden small departments with requirements they might not be able to pay for. But Sheriff Byerly says that's a burden that small agencies like his should be willing to carry. Is that really that expensive compared to the mental health and the stable, you know, environment that 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 deputy or deputies are, you know, will be working in and living with themselves for years to come? I, I think it's I think it's pretty you know, inexpensive in the whole uh, scheme of things. I, I really do believe, though, that most of us are trying to take care of our people the best way we know how, and we're willing to to go uh, beyond what used to be the norms to help to help these 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 folks because they're they're dealing with you know lots of tough stuff every day a lot of difficult decisions and and uh, we need to make we need to make sure that they're uh, they're okay mentally so we started this story with a very painful night in Aurora An officer returned to work 18 days after a fatal shooting, only to be involved in another shooting a month later. And now a grandfather is dead. It was the night that inspired this new law. So what's happened since? The district attorney decided not to prosecute Officer Limbaugh for shooting and killing Gary Black. So Limbaugh returned to patrol duties about seven months after the incident. And to be clear, police said Limbaugh actually did go through a program before returning to work after his first shooting. Here's how former Chief Nick Metz explained it after the second shooting. Prior to him coming back, he went through all the uh, requirements that uh, are are part of our policy for officers to adhere to prior to coming back after an officer-involved shooting. Uh, He received uh, peer support through our um, Employee Support and Wellness Unit by experienced officers who have been involved in officer-involved shootings. Uh, He actually had spent time with our department's psych services. He also spent time down at the, um, at the uh, police range with our trainers to make sure that 
they could tell that he was ready to come back to work. And then in consultation with the Arapahoe County uh, DA and in consultation with our psych services, um, we believe that this officer was ready to come back to work. Officer Limbaugh has not spoken publicly about what happened that night, but he did tell his story to investigators. And go ahead and give me your name. Drew Limbaugh. This is a recording from that interview, just a few days after the shooting. The last thing I remember reading on the call notes before I got out of the car was that there was blood everywhere and that a okay. child was being hurt. Okay. That's the last notes I remember seeing as we got out of the car. Okay. I didn't know what we were walking into, but I, was, I had a terrible feeling about it, and I was, you know, I was scared. Then he heard gunfire. Then he saw a man stumble into view. And then um, I see that large gun in his hand, I remember, and I remember thinking, you know, wow, that's, uh, that's a gun in his hand. Okay, like, this is a man that was... And I remember seeing this, just, this look on his face... He looked to me, I mean, it was really just honestly pretty terrifying. Like, he looked to me like someone that was just kind of had lost it and was killing people in the house. Okay. From the gunshots I heard to the situation I responded to and the information I had, this guy seemed, seemed like someone that was just, that had just checked out and was killing people inside the house. Okay. Can you, can you describe that? Almost like a zombie, honestly. Okay. Okay. Like, he looked very, so you were able to see his face? Yeah, he looked out of it. He looked okay. very out of it. Gary Black probably did look out of it. After all, a stranger on drugs had woken his family, broken down his door in the middle of the night, attacked his grandson. The intruder also hit Gary over the head during the struggle. This grandpa had just shot and killed an intruder when he stumbled into Officer Limbaugh's view in his living room. Do you know what the other officers saw? The man with the gun? Uh, I don't, I think I'm the only one that had a view of it. View of it, okay. If I can recall. And, and what, what, what's your, what are you thinking at the time? My initial reaction is, uh, you know, I, I gave verbal loud, very loud. I felt like I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Okay. To drop the gun. And I believe I said, to show me your hands. I know okay. I said those two things. And I believe I said that multiple times. Okay. Very loud. Uh, I'm in my mind thinking, I do not want to shoot this person, mm -hmm. but, and I remember thinking that as mm -hmm. time tends to slow down in your sure. mind in these situations. Um, and then I just gave him these commands. I felt like it was about 10 seconds of verbal commands to drop the gun and show me his hands. And then it's at, at a certain point in there, I saw some additional movement I felt like from his hands. And that's when I fired. The district attorney said it was possible Gary Black didn't hear the officer yelling at him to drop his gun. Gary had hearing loss from his service in Vietnam, and he'd just been exposed to very loud gunfire. Plus, police never identified themselves. So just as Officer Limbaugh mistook Black as the killer, Black may have mistaken the police for more intruders. And maybe that's why he was lifting his flashlight. Because Gary Black isn't here to tell his story, we'll never really know. And at the same time, we'll probably never know for sure whether Officer Limbaugh's prior shooting played any role in his decision to pull the trigger that night. But Gary Black's daughter told lawmakers at the Capitol that there's no doubt in her mind. As a behavioral scientist myself, I can tell you that absolutely post-traumatic stress was, was a part in that knee-jerk reaction 
that he took, which ended my father's life. My father died in the same way that he lived, showing unconditional love and support for his family. And if we allow these officers more of a chance to heal, if we give them more resources to be able to be better pillars for the community, that will then in turn make our community safer and it will help instill more respect for our boys in blue. the next Inside Podcast, some attitudes are shifting in law enforcement. There might be some treatment that comes from this, but that's all to help save your own life, your quality life, your relationships, your health. A lot of agencies aren't waiting for shootings and critical incidents to focus on mental health. So yes, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely trending in the right direction, but we still have, we still have a, w- a little bit to go. Next time, Hear how some departments are even collecting data on officers to determine who might be in trouble before the officer even realizes it. The Insight Podcast is a production of Rocky Mountain Public Media. I produced this episode... Our audio editor is Jason Patton. Our story editor is Paul Caroli. Additional support provided by Lizzie Goldsmith and the rest of the team at House of Pod. Thanks also to our Insight team at Rocky Mountain PBS. Our VP of Journalism is Laura Frank. Our managing editor is John Ferruja. Our photojournalist is Jason Foster. Our TV episode was produced by Phil Maravilla. Our director of content is Sam Cohen. And our CEO is Amanda Mountain. You can watch our television program and read more about this story on our website, rmpbs.org. Be sure to subscribe to Insight at Apple Podcasts and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our members at Rocky Mountain PBS. If you like what you heard, please support us by becoming a member at rmpbs.org.